For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com with episode 56, the Josh Crawford episode of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Hoffman Sausage Company and Bet Online. The reason it is the Josh Crawford episode is because that was his jersey number in college. And um, so, Josh, I wish that the the Josh Crawford episode was on happier terms. But um, regardless, we can still celebrate you, even if we're not celebrating a Syracuse victory. So uh, it's nice to have you. Thank you. I appreciate it. A uh, good backstory behind that number. Uh, Papa Crawford has made, you know, several appearances on this show. That was um, the number that he wore in, in high school. In not high school and college, he was a baseball player. He was a, you know, standout baseball player, FCS level kind of recruit, kind of similar to how I was in a football. And his high school coach, he was one I mean, he had, he broke a couple of Tennessee baseball records. And his high school coach um, for an interview about my dad was quoted as saying, he said, he, he actually said, he's the fifth or sixth best baseball player that I ever had, that I've ever seen with my eyes. But the, the commercial appeal back then ran it as he's the 56th best player. And it was perceived as <laughs> a slight, and it was like, it was a big thing. So, yeah, it's always been kind of, you know, like the little, you know, as a smaller D tackle, shout out to my guy, Keith KD, Kevin, da- Kevon Darden. You know, got to have that chip on your shoulder. So, yeah, that was kind of, it's kind of been a, kind of been a thing. 56 runs deep in offense. Undersized defensive lineman sounds like that's something that Syracuse fans have been griping about. Um, for after Saturday's loss, um, but interesting that there were no gripes about it when they were winning games and were six and zero. But um, same personnel. Funny you're talking about the porch with that. Well, that's you coming in hot. They got coming songs like that. Okay. Coming in hot. We we will definitely get to that situation because I have some um, some more thoughts on that. But I want to start with just your first reaction. The game ends Saturday. Um, a lot of things happened in this game, right? Garrett Williams went down. We found out he tore his ACL. He's out for the season. Um, you know, Garrett Schrader starts the game, but then is pulled because he wasn't healthy. He didn't look right from the start. Um, the game started with a pick six where Syracuse had been outstanding on its first drive of the game almost the whole season. Um, you know, Syracuse gets down and then they come back behind. Carlos Del Rio Wilson seems like they have all the momentum. A tipped pass gets picked off, seems to end the momentum, and it sort of unraveled from there. 
But I mean, this game had everything in it in terms of a roller coaster of emotions. The crowd was a fantastic. The atmosphere was fantastic. But, uh, you know, when the clock strikes zero and Syracuse loses 41-24, what, what are your thoughts on, on what went down in the Dome on Saturday? Basketball is back and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Um, no, like you said, definitely a lot of information um, coming out of that game to you know talk about, dissect, overreact to, do a whole bunch of different things too. But nobody like, overreacts to football games. Come on, obviously, obviously, <laughs> of course, right? Hashtag beat Bama. But um, the first immediate first reaction that I had after that game is um, the offense might be better already. Um, talking about a guy called Darrell Wilson. Um, my feelings about Garrett Schroeder have been made known throughout this uh this show. Shout out to my boy Joe Budden. If you're a first time listener, I'll tell you right now, I'm not a Schroeder guy. Again, he's not. It, it doesn't mean he's not a good athlete. It doesn't mean that he can't win games because that's what he's at quarterback. Whatever, regardless of what I've said, that's the most important stat for a quarterback, and he has more wins than losses this year. So that I can be upfront about that. But man, we just saw. Him be kind of the main head for one of you know one of the bigger collapses in SU football history at Clemson with a team we had a really good first half in the second half you know we, ain't, I, we don't have to do the whole recap podcast but just because the, the players for you and you're the, the the first offensive skill player to touch the ball doesn't mean you're the main fed of offense so I think that was a big problem you know regardless of his health going in and then you know one of the things that we talked about before we started recording like in terms of the health issue. Now, Carla Darrell Wilson is a former four-star quarterback from hashtag ATL baby from Atlanta. Um, went to a couple powerhouse schools, powerhouse 5A programs in the Georgia area. This is a guy that knows how to play football. This is a guy he, he was at uh, Florida behind Anthony Richardson, and although he hasn't, you know, he hadn't, he had what four passing attempts this season, hadn't played a full game. This is a guy that this is not one of those these situations that issues in where you're scared to go to your backup. So you're talking about the health of Garrett Schrader in the week. Uh, during the week and then in the game, uh, you know, I've been told coming in that he wasn't 100%. And that's the thing to where you got to – the staff, again, has to be more understanding. Um, just has to be more aware. Garrett Schrader is a guy that we just saw him have 21 carries against Clemson, 19 carries against uh, Louisville, I think. This is a guy that likes that the run game is a, a quintessential part of his game. And if he's hurt and his ability to run is, is affected, that you can't in good faith – Put that decision out there when you have a fully healthy and um, capable backup in the in the right behind. So that was my biggest thing. You know, I've talked about Lowe's on the podcast before. I've had some conversations with Lowe's during camp and after the game. And you know, he's a guy that's he's a he's a young guy again. Atlanta guys are definitely a lot different with their mindset and their their ability their their mindset and how they how they carry themselves. But the game spoke for itself. Broke off some really good first downs with his legs. Really made some big time clutch throws. Looked more comfortable in the pocket. Then Schrader had looked all season. So it was definitely a thing to where 
you know, I've seen a lot of positive reaction from uh, SU fans from, let me say it out loud, CDRW, but that was the dip in the toe. So if you get you give Los a full game to prepare, a full week to know he just started, to prepare for the ones and practice, prepare for a starting defense, I think that, you know, the thing that I said, that that this switch could have happened a lot sooner, I think a lot of SU fans will, will realize this, uh, next, and this Saturday versus Pitt. That's what we play like. It's tailgating season, and no one does it better than Hoffman's Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun-length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells, Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. Yeah, I mean, it's we don't know the um, status of Garrett Schrader this coming weekend um, against Pittsburgh. Nothing has officially been said. Um because Davis was so clear about his status, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. But I mean, if you know, we we could see um, when we and and we probably already knew this, even if we hadn't seen it, right? That Garrett Schrader, without the ability to run and use what is clearly what makes him uh, the weapon that makes him the most that makes him dynamic. Uh, makes him a weapon and makes him something that teams have to game plan for. If you take that away, um, he's he's obviously much more easy to defend, and therefore the Syracuse offense is much more easy to defend. Now, on the flip side of that, I don't necessarily have a problem with going into a game, you know your player is hurt, but he says, listen, I can tough it out, I can still be effective, etc. We've seen injured players come out and do things that they're not supposed to do based on injuries that they've had. It's happened throughout sports history. So I don't necessarily have a problem with starting him, throwing him out there and saying, all right, but if you're not effective and we can't move the ball, then we're going to have to take you out. We'll cite injury, et cetera. You know, as long as that's the understanding. Now, the first play aside, um, I'm a little surprised that the first play wasn't a run play to Sean Tucker, given how much that was the emphasis right that was literally the most one of the most horrible plays i've ever seen as a football player well i'm talking about brandon joseph was was so early that he almost (laughs) missed the pick with how 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 quickly he jumped around he literally caught the ball behind him like he was the receiver well and and, and the worst part about it was to me was that Schrader saw that he pump faked he didn't just throw it (laughs) hey you are elite at this i'm talking about like solved the bad decision knew not to make it and was like let me go back in like a little bit. And then, and then was like, nah, I can get this in there and then tried to fit it in. So yeah, I mean, it, it was a bad decision, but in terms of that doesn't change my mind as far as, you know, I don't see that and say, Oh, well, he can't be effective and take him out. If I'm watching him for, for an injury. Yeah. It's a bad play. You talk to him. What are you doing? What did you see? And, and you try to, you know, make adjustments going forward in the game, but very next drive, he comes out, leads him right down to a touchdown. It's 7-7, seven, seven, and you're like, okay, that looked more like what I expected Syracuse's offense to look like on its first drive, right? Is is very methodical, as they had been all season. Give yourselves a chance to score, and, and they capitalized. But the rest of the half, it was awful. And it was – we know that there were so many opportunities in the half where – a healthy Garrett Schrader clearly takes off and runs and makes a play with his feet. And he just stayed in the pocket and kept looking. And that's not him. That's not what makes him 
um, a weapon at this level. So, you know, everyone in the press box is kind of looking around like, Schrader hasn't run. We're like middle of the second quarter. Schrader hasn't even run the ball once yet. They've had zero designed runs. They're not really doing the zone read at all. Like, what what is going on here? And so, with all of that, I understand the move at the halftime inciting the injury. He had a whole half where you got to see Garrett Schrader and he got to see what happened and, and how ineffective he was and all that. But, you know, hindsight being 2020, I, I think Syracuse would have been better off starting Carlos um, in this game because of, of Schrader's injury. Um, but I also, I also know enough about the way that Dino Babers operates to know Carlos Del Rio Wilson came out and didn't throw an incomplete pass and led Syracuse to a victory over Notre Dame in that game. It's still Garrett Schrader's job. Dino Babers is very loyal and there are times where that can be a detriment, but there's a lot of times when that's good. And I actually do appreciate coaches sticking by, by players to a certain extent. Um, now, very rare nowadays. With it, it, is, it is very rare nowadays, which is part of the reason why I appreciate it more. And I'm almost willing to let you make a mistake by being too loyal because it is so rare. Um, but, you know, if he had had that moment, then I think the leash on Schrader should have become a little shorter. And then I think going into next year, at a minimum, it should have been a wide open competition. Let those guys battle it out. Put the best guy out there um, after after training camp. That said, in, t- in terms of this game, um, I think it took a little too long to pull him. <clears throat> that hurt Syracuse. It was clear that the the offense got a huge spark from Carlos being out there. And part of that is because he wasn't hurt. He could do everything. Everything that he is able to do, he could do. And then the other part of that is that dude has a cannon. Hey, come on now. Real I mean, ACL, uh, baby. Like, he gets it in the tight window. I mean, it's it's – it's just different I, the way that he throws the ball. I mean, everything is just a tight spot. It looks like a professional quarterback. It, it honestly does. And who, was he, that, uh, who was the broadcaster that called the game on, on Saturday? Wasn't he a, prof- a former quarterback? Uh, Joe Tessitore was the was the play-by-play guy. The color. I don't remember who the color guy was. I should I know. Think, but, but, no, I think it's uh, – it wasn't Hurst. I think it was uh, Brock, the former uh, quarterback. Brock, Brock someone was the yeah, I worked with him in Sirius XM. Shout out uh, the homie. Um, I think that's what the people in your industry and in the scout industry are saying. Uh, the the ball pops off his hand. It pops and off his hand. It that was the first thing hand. that I saw. Like man, <clears throat> like you talk about. And I'm sorry to cut you off, but when you talk about Schrader versus Los, that it doesn't even take anybody. It doesn't take anybody with our depth of knowledge to see that the first play. Like, hey, that guy throws a ball really fast, a lot faster, more accurate, and more precise than one other guy. And that's something that I walked out the first day at camp is like. Yeah, because we all we know about the politics of you know whatever the quarterback, especially the quarterback position, uh, like I said, loyalty, continuity, experience, all that is more and more uh more um uh, what am I trying to say? More valuable for a QB than any other position on the field. But man, you got to sometimes take a step back and really evaluate what you're doing. You, you talk about a leash. I think after the, the, the after the second half at Clemson, in which again. Gary was one of the biggest reasons for the offense's downfall. He should have had a shorter lease than he had ever in, in, uh, in, in at any other time in the season. You got a guy that just had a really bad game, and he's hurt. So you can play it however you want to play it. I don't agree with it um, 
I don't think that was the right way to do it as a man to not come out for the second half. It's a lot like not answering the bell. But if you knew this, you know, you got to you. The staff has to know that, hey, this guy is liable to some really bad decisions. We got to cut the same way with people at the bar. Let me cut them off before anything, before anything, because catastrophic happened. I mean, the first play was pretty, pretty catastrophic. But like you said, even in the first whole first half, like it looked like a continuation of the Clemson game. And you, Babers and uh, Anais have seen that, like, they, they're smart to recognize that, hey, like, this guy is not in his game, whether it be injury or whatever. We got, we got to get some new blood in the game. So it was disappointing, that, like you said, to see them waste so long to pull the trip. The, the two things from um, Carlos's performance that I thought were extremely encouraging for the future of the quarterback position at Syracuse, regardless of what happens the rest of the season. The first is the ability to anticipate a throw. And what I mean by that is when you throw the ball, he's not open, but you're throwing it into a spot because you know he's going to be open when he gets there. And on the pass that set up the touchdown run to Sean Tucker, um, he hit DeMarcus Adams on kind of a, a skinny post. And he threw the ball before Adams started his break into that post. And he threw it to an open area. And there were multiple defenders around there. If he's inaccurate with that pass, it's very easily intercepted. But he threw it to the perfect spot. Adams got there right as the ball arrived in the open area, made the catch. It was, I, that was where I went, okay. You know, that, that really took, that was extremely impressive. But then it was also, he had multiple throws down the sideline. The, the, touchdown, um, the touchdown to D-Mark was the best ball that quarterback <laughs> issue has thrown all year. It was, it was an incredible throw. Um, but multiple throws down the sidelines where, you know, there's there was tight coverage by the Notre Dame corners, and he's putting the ball in a spot where either his guy's going to catch it or it's going to be incomplete, one or the other. And, you know, they, they made a couple of those catches. They didn't make a couple of those catches. But the touch on a pass like that against – defensive backs that have professional aspirations, whether or not they're that quality or not, but they're high level recruits. They're, you know, four and five star guys that are coming to Notre Dame because they think that's going to give them exposure to, to get to the next level. And um, you know, that that's the type of talent you're playing against. And they're able to uh, Carlos is able to make those throws where when you're going against a Clemson or a Notre Dame, or, you know, an NC State or whatever, even North Carolina this year, Wake Forest, teams that are highly ranked, have good quality athletes. You have to make some of those throws in those games to, to win. And he showed he can do that. So I thought that was very encouraging, regardless of what happens the rest of the season. I think he's a baller. I think he's a really good one. Um, you know, it didn't work out for him at Florida for, for a variety of reasons. Sometimes you just need a change of scenery and helps you grow up a little bit and and you can focus on the right things and then everything comes together. The, the, the raw talent is not a question. There's no question who has the highest ceiling in the quarterback room. So we'll see how that goes for the rest of the season. But the other part of this game was, you know, obviously Garrett Williams going down stinks for him. It stinks for Syracuse. It's, it's the best corner that they have, but secondary is their deepest unit. So even though he's your best guy, that's the spot where you're best able to take your best guy from a position group away and recover from it. Isaiah Johnson, I thought has been good when he's been in there for Garrett Williams. He's not the same player. He's not the same caliber of player, but he's a good player. You, you can still have a really good secondary with him as, as your other corner pairing with Deuce Chestnut, but the run defense, 
is the issue. They, they gave up almost 250 rushing yards to Notre Dame. That's after giving up over 290 against Clemson. So that's two weeks in a row that teams are basically just saying, we're running the ball straight at you, and we don't think you can stop it, and they couldn't. And now you're going up against the ACC's leading rusher in Israel Abamaconda at Pittsburgh. So it doesn't get any easier. Um, I'm going to start with you before I go on a little bit of a rant about the Syracuse defensive linemen and what some things are being said on social media. Um, but from a, you play defensive line. So obviously this is all you, you know, this position, you know, how difficult it can be to stop the run when, when they're coming right at you and you've been on the field for a while and, and all that. And, but what, what is the issue for Syracuse right now? And do they have any hopes of fixing it moving forward? Uh, rubs hands like Birdman. Definitely excited to talk about some, some inside zone stuff, but no, like, I will first thing I'll say the response to that is you know I was I was pause hold back on the, uh, you you know deeming an issue talked about Notre Dame being one of the most <laughs> decorated and um, talented programs year in year year in and year out of college football and the same goes for Clemson too and any decent football coach it, it, we can question whether or not we can call Brian Kelly that now um, but even Marcus Freeman we love the we love the homie and uh, Dan Ball Sweeney they they've been they're at this re- they're they're at this level for a reason and you probably know at this point now. The best way to start your offense is to get a good run game. You get you get you get momentum, you know, going in for your backs. You get your backs some touches, and you get your offensive line firing off the ball. So you talk about two programs in Clemson and Notre Dame. You know they have their they have their pick of the litter in terms of what which four star and five star um, five star recruits they want. And I, I missed my point, but every offensive coach knows that you need good interior push, center guard guard to really get started in a run game. So you look at Notre Dame and you look at Clemson. Look at the size of those those three guys in the interior. I would I don't even have to look, and I will almost guarantee none of them, no, no six of them are under three twenty. When you have guys those elite level programs, you said it before we come on. The guys that are six four three twenty, they're looking to get to the NFL. And programs like Clemson and Notre Dame, you know, well either either in actuality or just perception, are known for more for getting guys in the NFL than, than SU. So when you have that much of a talent disadvantage in a particular area. It can come out in the in the run game. We have uh, the pass game where it's, it's a lot of it's uh, predicated on athleticism and uh, speed. You know, the run game is a lot. It's a lot of brute force strength and um, it's a war of attrition. And when you have bigger guys, the bigger guys are going to win every time. So yeah, KD can get a TFL against uh, on the goal line, make us put get a goal line stop. But if you run Oklahoma drill four times and you put KD against the six five three thirty guard from Notre Dame, he's going to get knocked back three to four times. It's just it's just simple. So, you know, with the way that Tony White that you talked about, the way that Tony White has constructed his defense, there's not a lot of room for the, the Jordan Davis uh, and Dominican Sue type 6'5 to 30 in the middle to clog up the lane. And you do his defense is predicated on, you know, it's just a weird dilemma because you have really good linebackers, guys that are coming up and hitting and making plays in the run game, but it's hard for those linebackers to truly make plays and, and do what they want to do because they don't have guys that are hitting up double teams, freeing up blocks for them and allowing them to get downhill and fast flow. That's why I think a lot of NFL guys are so high on Mar- Mike Hill and Marlowe because they're doing what they're doing, not having a Jordan Davis, a Nola Smith, a, a dominant guy off in front of them to play out blocks. So it, the, the way that Tony's white defense is constructed, you know, no, no game plan, no system is perfect. And it just seems that, you know, the last two games, the, the, the opposite team, the opposite offense have had, has had the personnel to truly expose the one defense, the one weakness in his defense, which is, you know, the inside interior run game. So, you know, ultimately, I would calm down a little bit because 
like you said, there's not a lot of teams that run this personnel. And the, the, the two teams that we just faced are probably the, the most talented at best at just simply banging you banging you with that inside zone 20, 30 times a game. But hey, this is this is a trade-off of having Tony White's defense and having that mob. Like you said, nobody was complaining about it when we was beating NC State and you know having fun on Marshall Street. So you had to be more realistic as a fan and know that hey, with Steve Lennon not gonna be able to hold up in the run game the same way, same way he passes. Caleb's not gonna be able to have a TFL in the run game the same way he passes. But you gotta understand what it does, what it, what is what they do and what they're good at. So um slightly overblown, but it's not a thing that has a lot of room for correction. But because even with his system having three down linemen, it doesn't breed a lot of great run defense in the interior. Yeah, and you know, um, first of all, I'm Brian Kelly. I will never admit he's a good coach. I can't stand him. Um, so that's completely biased. Don't like him. Um, whatever. I don't want to spend too much time on him because that'll just get I, me I, frustrated. I see that sidetracked a little bit. I ain't need, oh, I ain't need to make I, you mad. <laughs> I, I have so many thoughts on him. Um, I mean, if after a game that your team barely wins a game that you think you should win by a lot – and you make a reference to them being executed, even if it's only a joke. Like, I'm sorry, you're he just he doesn't care about his players, is, is all I have to say. Um, anyway, whole separate side discussion there. Um, as far as the Syracuse defensive line goes, you know, football is a game of matchups, right? We know that Syracuse on offense is trying to get its best skill position players in matchups that are favorable to them. That means Sean Tucker out in space against linebackers and safeties. That means Oronde Gadsden on either a defensive back that he's bigger than or a linebacker that he's faster than, right? So they're trying to do all of those things. Well, conversely, defenses, or I'm sorry, offenses going against Syracuse's defense are trying to get matchups that are favorable to them as well. And when you have every scheme ever has some sort of flaw that can be exploited, there's no such thing as a perfect scheme with zero flaws. And the area where you can exploit a potential weakness in the 3-3-5 that Syracuse runs under Tony White is running the ball between the tackles. And now the reason that that doesn't come up a ton is because modern college football is not built to do that on a regular basis. You look at what Clemson and Notre Dame did the reason that it looked uncommon is because it is. It's rare. You don't see teams on a regular basis other than Army, Navy, Air Force running the ball 40, 50 times a game. It's a passing game now. That's how offenses are built. It's a reason scoring. why those offenses are considered pro style because they're atypical yes. for the college game. <clears throat> exactly. And so Syracuse's three three five is built to stop the offenses that it plays a vast majority of the time. Yes, they play Clemson every year. They don't play Notre Dame every year. Notre Dame has three running backs, an NFL offensive line. No one else in college football has stuff like that, right? So you understand all of this, and yes, it's frustrating not being able to stop it, but you also – don't completely change what you do and what you are because one matchup isn't favorable to you. The other thing I want to point out is there was a lot of commentary about Syracuse's undersized defensive line. Yes, it's undersized. It's more undersized now than it typically is because they don't have Terry Lockett. So now you have, you know, you're planning on having Lockett and Darton splitting time. 
Some may play a little more in some games, depending on the matchup. You don't have that ability anymore. So now you have to rely on guys without experience. And that means that in some games, Darton's going to get more run than he probably should. And that means that his size can be exploited a little bit more. I say all that to point out the 3-3-5 likes to have smaller, more agile defensive linemen. That's part of what they want in that system. That doesn't mean tiny, like you want 220-pound defensive tackles, but that means you might prefer 260-270 to 310-320. If you could find a guy that was 310 but could be as agile as you want, yes, of course, that would be fantastic. But those guys are going to Alabama. They're going to Georgia. So you have to understand the system, what you're recruiting for the system, and how that could lead to weaknesses in certain aspects. Now, yes, Syracuse is going up against Pittsburgh this coming weekend, and we'll have a pod later this week to break down that matchup. Yes, Pittsburgh is a fantastic running offense. Yes, Abanaconda is a fantastic running back. They don't have the same interior offensive line that Clemson and Notre Dame do. Therefore, yes, I expect that Pittsburgh is going to have some success running the ball. I don't expect they're going to be running the ball for 300 yards. So that's if, if you're a Syracuse fan, that's where you come away from this game is understanding your system is going to have games like this where the matchup isn't favorable, but that doesn't mean the defense isn't good. It still is. I had a conversation on Facebook with somebody today who was trying to argue that Syracuse's defense isn't good and that a good defense doesn't give up 41 points like they just had against Notre Dame. The mob, for all of its whatever you want to talk about all the running yards they gave up, they didn't give up 41 points. Seven of those were on a pick six. The other seven came off of a blocked punt where Notre Dame started at your two yard line. Notre Dame also started three other possessions in Syracuse territory. The defense did not give up 41 points. They realistically gave up about 24 to 27, which in a game against Notre Dame, you take and say, all right, our offense needs to get 27 or 30 to win the game. That's how you beat Notre Dame. All right. So I, I don't think that this was an issue where the defense just fell apart, gave up 40 points, and they're not good anymore. That's just not reality. So you take all that, you understand it, you move forward, you got four games left. Um, I think everything that that you could have hoped Syracuse could accomplish realistically going into the season is still in front of them. So Josh, that that's where I want to go with you next. Where, where does Syracuse go from here with, with four games left on the schedule? We're eight games in. We have all of this data. Um, you know, how do you take a step back, reset things, and look at Syracuse for its final four games? The, the two biggest games I see will be Pitt and Florida State. Obviously, Florida State, last one in the Dome. Shout out to homie Fabio Lovett, starting the tackle for your Florida State Seminoles. But that's a good litmus test in terms of a, a team that, you know, we're talking about Clemson Notre Dame, has a similar recruiting history and talent base, but um, has underachieved that can be looked at a little bit of a, as a peer for you in the ACC. So that would be a good matchup. And then, like, you, you said it better than I could. Uh, Pitt with Israel Abikanda, uh, I think he's the best back in the ACC right now, almost 1,000 yards. And, um, yeah, he's a guy that is hard to bring down in with his tackles. So, you know, it 16 will be – 16 touchdowns already. 16 – he, he's good. He's good. Africans are a different breed in any aspect of life. Scholastically, hey, Africans are a different breed. Shout out to the African homies. But, no, nah, it will be a good litmus, a litmus test to see how a mob defense can be, can come back after, you know, a very demoralizing performance in the run game. But the last thing that I'll say about uh, a lot of the rants and the thing that you said before we, that we hit, hit with the shot clock is, um you know, to people talk about Kavon, Darden, you know, Caleb, and Steve, and whatever, 
But uh, the best, for my money, the best football player in the world right now, Aaron Donald, looks a lot more like those Kavon Darnold, Thielen, and those guys than Dominic Sue and all the other guys that you know people that the people want issue to recruit. So just you know, keep that in mind that whatever your opinion is, the people at the the highest level doing this look like the guy that Tony White wants on the defensive line. So you know, pipe down a little bit like this. And pipe down indeed. Uh, that'll do it for episode 56 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. We'll be back later this week to break down Syracuse versus Pittsburgh as Syracuse looks to get its seventh win of the season. For Josh Crawford, I'm Mike McAllister, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.